Welcome into the NBA Morning Deuce. Oh, baby, we got a series. We got it. Heat, take down the Lakers. Game three, nobody thought it was possible. We, I felt like it was still possible. Joey Levin, back as always. But Alex, as I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, lives up in Philly, works for a, a local network up there. Eagles are playing as I'm recording this. Alex, not available for the podcast tonight. That's okay. It's fine. So I went out and I was like, who can I get to replace Alex? Who knows the game inside and out? Who has been in the NBA more recently than I have? Who played college basketball? Who can really break down what's going on in this series? It's my guy, my former colleague with the Hornets, former NBA video scout, and workout guy himself, Ben Eblen, on the podcast, joining in. What's up, dude? Not much, man. It's been a long time. Glad to see you're doing well and uh, excited to be here. I've never done one before, so uh, definitely nice to have a conversation with you, someone I got to work with and you know talk basketball with on a pretty regular basis there for a, for a year and some change, so uh, I'm excited for it. Yeah, man, I'm excited too, and I mean, I'm especially excited just because we had, obviously, after game one, it looked like this series, it didn't look like there was going to be much of a series, to be honest. No, you know, we don't, we still don't know when Bam and Goran are going to be back, hopefully soon. But it seemed like no matter how perfect Miami played, it was going to be an extreme uphill battle. And then Jimmy Butler has not just the best game of his career, arguably the best game in NBA Finals history, and I'll tell you why. It's the third ever 40-point triple-double in NBA Finals history. The other two people to do it were LeBron and Jerry West. They both lost their games. So Jimmy Butler is now the only player in NBA history to have a 40-point triple-double in the NBA Finals in a win. How about and that? And win it. That's incredible. And I mean, to do it to do it the, the non-analytic way, I think, what, zero three-point attempts tonight? It's I mean, crazy. It's so absurd. You, out, you, out of your mind. you don't even take one? Not even that you don't make one, but you don't even take one. You're just going and, and putting on your hard hat and just getting it done on every every stat category. Yeah, it's crazy because I, I've, notoriously on this sh- podcast, I am brutally hard on Jimmy Butler because I just don't understand these the games where he refuses to shoot. And and I, I wanted to ask you this because and, and I'm not going to harp on the negative from Jimmy Butler because the game was so amazing, but he still did it tonight. There's at least three times that I remember just from off the top of my head where he drives and has wide open layups and kicks it out. I don't understand. I've never understood that. I don't know if you see something that I don't, but I, I don't. Why would you pass up layups as often as he does? Um, even on the one where Anthony Davis there and Davis has two fouls on him, you know, you're trying to put that on his head. Cause like, what, what's going to happen? Either makes an incredible block or you're, you're putting their best, their, or their best player and with three fouls early. But I mean, that was just some inopportune, inopportune moments where the Lakers really messed up their switches mm-hmm. and Jimmy Butler gets to the rim. And like you're saying, I think he, I mean, he's just, I think he's so big on instilling confidence in his guys that he's kind of overdoing it. He's just thinking, you know, Dwayne Wade, you know, get my guys involved, get my guys involved, get my guys involved. And it's like, no, dude, you're, 
yeah. with the ring for two. Like, yeah, if, I mean, I, I'm looking at this. I, I think he could add 50 tonight. I mean, right? Just bunnies he gave up, and he's trying to kick it. And I, I get it, trying to spread the love, but well, and also like he took 20 shots. He got to he he took he had 14 free throw attempts. Took 20 shots again without taking a three, which 40 points without making a three in today's NBA is like 14 for 20. I think it was. Yeah, like, that's it. Just, incredible. but it also highlights like he can clearly do what he wants particularly like the way they were running their offense tonight a lot of pistol action which jeff van gundy explained on the broadcast but for those who don't know it's those those guard to guard sort of step up screens on the sideline where they have to where they're forcing the lakers to make a decision on whether they're going to switch or if they slip it how they're going to guard it but also like a lot of that old school you know the l action right where the Right. The, the big and the and the guard setting screens and Jimmy had the option to go either way, um, and the Lakers just couldn't figure it out. He he only took twenty shots. Like if he would he could have taken 25, 26 shots easily. Had, could have had fifty. Not harping on it. They won the game, but there right. were moments in the game where you're like, okay, here's where the Lakers come back. Exactly. I mean, I felt it the whole time when we were even texting a little bit about it, and I'm saying, you know, here they come, here they come, here they come, but. It's just, I mean, I know it gets blown up about the heat way and the heat culture, but the coach in me, there's like two plays that like that stood out that just like, this is the, the, the heat team where in the first half, Solomon Hill gets like two minutes, but he gets, he's flying around, he creates extra possession, subs out, Jimmy Butler goes and gets a deuce. Then at the end of the game, you're thinking, you know, LA still has a chance, LA still has a chance. I think Jimmy takes a, a really messed up shot, like a tough two on the baseline there. And LeBron's pushing down court. And I think it's Olenek runs him down mm -hmm. and gets the back tap yeah you know it's just, it's just all these little plays where you like all right like they gave him another chance they left door over for the lakers some unsung hero for the heat steps up and that's why they're so easy for me personally to cheer for they just they're they're seeking to make that right play yeah no it, it's it's pretty incredible and yeah you talked about the coaching just how much credit like eric spolstra is such a gene i said you know i actually brought up the idea when the after game one, when the injuries happened, like maybe they need to take a look into the D'Antoni playbook and speed it up and run these quicker actions with Jimmy as the ball handler. And it's and he did it. I mean, right. all this pistol and early pick and roll stuff that's D'Antoni 101. And right. but the difference being not as many like Jimmy Butler is just getting to the rack. And right. and this and the heat, the scary thing about this, if you're the, if you're the Lakers, and I don't think you're scared if you're the Lakers, but the crazy thing is the heat are still not shooting the ball well. I mean, they're, no. they're really not like Duncan Robinson. You mentioned Solomon Hill. Um, obviously, you're not going to play him major minutes, but you're getting to a point with Duncan Robinson in this series where if he doesn't start hitting shots, you might not be able to play him because he can't defend. And if he's not scoring, you might as well just play somebody who already can't score but can defend. Right. And I mean, he showed you flashes tonight of cutting and getting to the rim, you know, and uh, he, I think he even got a piece of the paint once or twice and kicked out to Jay Crowder yeah. and like, mm -hmm. you like to see it, but it's also game three of the finals. Like, you maybe, you know, game I mean, 20. Iguodala can do that. You're working on that stuff, but right now, like, shoot, I want you shooting it, bud. Like, I know he's five of 20 from three in the series. It's just, I mean, he it, yanked one tonight. And I mean, love the confidence, but I mean, they probably went three feet over the goal and hit, hit the back. Yeah, I, I saw something after last game where I guess Spolstra was like yelling at him to shoot the ball because he wasn't shooting the ball. So I think he may have taken that a little too much to heart tonight because some of those shots and you could see it the whole series that 
I, you know, the, the thing about Duncan Robinson this year, obviously compared to last year, and you know this just as much as anybody would know, when a guy emerges like him, he's in the scouting report now. So you could see from the beginning of the series, they made a concerted effort, and they're one of the best three-point defensive teams in the league in terms of allowing teams to shoot threes. They, they, they allowed the, the second-least three-point attempts in the league this year. So you could, I mean, they're running, guy, they're running him off the line. They're making his shots tougher. But, but like I said, I mean, it's like, at what point do you, they played incredible defense tonight. So I guess you can't, you, you're nitpicking after a win to say, well, what do you do about Duncan Robinson? Because, but the shooting, I mean, at least with Tyler Hero, right? He's shooting terrible also, like really bad, but. I mean, he's had two straight second halves where he's come up really big. He had seven. He ended up with seventeen tonight, and he had a big second was, half. I mean, he hadn't hit a shot in all night, like what three for twelve or three for fifteen when he hits that big three, and just yeah, and even the, still have that feeling where like like they're even saying on the broadcast, Rondo's going to try to pick him here. Rondo's going to try to pick him here, and he just takes it right to the rim, gets the and one, and you just these guys keep coming. Yeah, and I guess the difference with Hero is that he can score at all three levels. So when his three is not falling, he can get to the rim. His mid-range game is really good for his age. Like, he'll score in other ways, and he's a better athlete and a better defender. So, you know, you live with his struggles. But going forward, you probably have to evaluate early in game four, I would think, with Duncan Robinson, like what happens so you here. You don't feel like it's one of those things that's already too far gone. Like, they've... They've hyped, like you said, like how they're yelling at him to shoot. Now you can't, after a win, pull the reins back. On, well, it depends. I guess it also depends on what the injuries, right? If Goran Dragic comes back, uh, in, let's say he comes back in game four and he's even able to give you 20 minutes, and now you have all these other guys stepping up. You know, Kelly Olinick had 24 in game two and 17 in game three. So he's going to play. You have to play him. Like he's been right. such a big spark for you in these last two games, particularly the way they're playing offense, the, the way they're running their offense, which I mean, you tell, I, I, I would, even with Bam coming back, you, you had 115 tonight, 114 in game three, uh, excuse me, game two, you got to stick with this. You don't go back to the way you were running your offense before you got to stick with this Jimmy Butler right. handling the ball, running these quick actions, right? Oh, you would think so. You would think so. Even with Bam, because Bam, I mean, you put Bam in these actions, he's still it's still going to work. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to whip he's not going to launch those long threes like Olenek and Myers Leonard do. But you got to stick with what's working. It's uh, so I think if you the more players you get back, maybe you can play him less, and then maybe he doesn't feel as much pressure to have to jack up shots as often. Like I don't know, it's weird. He doesn't have to account for as much of that offense, and some of the eyes are off him and. Because he is such a liability on defense. I mean, it's crazy. It, it's he's just he can't do it. It's, it's just what it is. He's never been a great. They're a great defensive team, but so let's talk about the defense. Um, I I think I would kind of contend that that first quarter was maybe the best defense I've ever seen on Anthony Davis. Incredible. I mean, I mean, every time he caught the ball, you could freeze it. You know, there's five five sets of eyes on him. As soon as he put it down, you know, they brought the double. If he had it on the perimeter, DHO, looked like they said, make someone else beat us. That's kind of looked like they did. Yeah. And, you know, if Marcus Morris or I'm assuming Marky Morris wants to get 20 and Kuz gets 20, great. But uh, yeah, I put that in the notes like, you know, AD doesn't take a shot in the first quarter, turns the ball over four times, gets two fouls, finished with 15 on nine. He only took nine shots in the game. 
Meanwhile, Kuzma and Marquise Morris both took 13 shots. If you're the Heat, you're like, this is it. That's when when Jimmy Butler comes out and says we got to be perfect. That's perfect. That right. is the perfect scenario. If AD is taking the fourth most shots on your team, and and I think someone else, it might have been KCP, took eight shots. So he was close to being the fifth most shots on the team. If that's what you're getting at, if that's what's happening with AD, you you, you basically any finishes with four fouls, only had five rebounds. I mean, it's about as perfect as you can get from a heat defensively 104 points is not really a lot of points they had 100 they scored 124 last game and i mean that's with uh what is it 13 of la's 19 turnovers were ad and lebron combined for i want to say yeah so i mean yeah and they had 14 14 of the turnovers were in the first half and he'd had 15 points off of them Uh, here's another crazy stat this was the fifth Fifth finals game in LeBron's career where he had seven or more turnovers. He's 0-5 in those games. It's it's just incredible. It seems like everything he does, it's just another, it's another stat in the record book yeah. at this point. You know what I mean? Like anything he does, it's it's yeah. it's, it's breaking some ridiculous. He moved uh, into number. second all time in assists in the playoffs tonight. It's just something every night. This guy is incredible. Oh yeah, you can't take anything away from him because like even in let me pull up the box from tonight or. Yeah, like even in a game like tonight, or game three, he finishes with 25 on 9 of 16 from the field. i tell you what, 16 field goal attempts for LeBron is pretty good, too, defensively. He took 25 shots last game. Um, finishes with 25, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. I mean, it just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. He just, con- he's nonstop, man. I mean, but if you look at just the overall statistics of like what Miami did tonight offensively, like it's not that different from game two stats. Like they may, I think they even shot worse from three, but mm-hmm. really similar from the field and everything else. So it's, it's interesting when we talk about defense, just what really is the recipe for, for Miami to get it done. You know what I mean? Cause it's not like they, yeah, played Ashton, Butler was out of this world, but as, as a whole, you know, just shooting the ball. Yeah, no, they, they, they uh, yeah, they, their shooters for the most part in the playoffs have not been great. Like they were, I think, the second best three point shooting team in the regular season, and they're one of the worst teams three point shooting in the playoffs percentage wise. And I mean, part of that is Robinson has not shot the ball particularly well in the playoffs. Hero's taken a lot of shots. He's been really good, but they, they just yeah, they, they haven't shot the ball super particularly well from three. Um, but defensively, I, you know. I've been banging on Mark Jackson since last game. A lot of people have been crushing him because all he keeps talking about is how they need to go b- get out of the zone and go back to man. And it seemed absurd to say, but it it worked. I mean, I would I actually the few times Miami went to the zone to, in game three, the Lakers do whatever they want with it. It's right. almost like you got to you. Get, I think they got to completely get just the zone maybe for like gimmick situations out of balance plays under out yeah certain plays like that but like they probably have to go away from it for good because not only was the i mean obviously the 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 way they guarded ad was because they were guarding him you know straight up and then doubling right also oh yeah good no like i was just saying when they had it it puts you in a zone the way they play in ad as Mm -hmm. soon as he faced up you look at it all right you're in that same amoeba zone where if he passes you're gonna have to fly and rotate and do what you were doing that 
yeah, Amiibo it, zone anyway. It's funny you say that because in the first, probably the first like five minutes or so of the game, I, I was actually trying to figure out whether they were in a zone because there were possessions where it looked like they're zoning, but they, they were in man the whole time. But it's just the way they play, you, you look at it. Switching defense almost where yeah. you're, you, you're touch, you guys still come together, you know, touch, talk, switch, yeah. and uh, communicate it. But I mean, if you're not flying the shooters, I mean, the zone, man, it's, it's yeah. And plus in the second, so the big th- and another big thing about getting out of the zone in game three was that, you know, in the second half of game two, the Lakers had 13 second chance points and they were just flying to those offensive boards, especially AD six second chance points in the second half of game three. And part of that is when you play man, there's already a body on AD. So he can't just fly in untouched right. to those offensive rebounds and that was look if you just get a few if the heat just got a few rebounds in the second half of game two they're up two one in this series without two of their three best players like it's absurd to say but the heat have a, a lot of momentum right now they do they've they've basically outplayed the lakers for the last six quarters other than the offensive, other than the rebounding in the second half of game two, they have right. completely outplayed the Lakers for two quarters, or excuse me, for the last six quarters without two of their three best players. I mean, it, I'm, you're not in the, I'm not in the locker room. We're not in that locker room, obviously, but you got to think doubts. There's just so much belief on the Miami Heat side. And I mean, let's don't get me wrong. The Lakers, the Lakers, they look yeah. on Jane. They, they, they are who they are. But like, I mean, my, me personally, I, I had no doubt that the Lakers are going to ride off to the sunset with this one. And now after watching that, watching Jimmy, the look in Jimmy Butler's eyes, like even before the game, did you see his interview with Rachel Nichols before the game? Folks. I mean, I mean, that guy's, that guy's off his rocker and like in the best way possible. It's crazy. It is so crazy. And it is again, well-documented on this show that I completely 100% bought into the narrative that Jimmy Butler is the problem. Because yeah. it's it's hard when a guy goes to three different franchises and they all fall apart to say, no, it's just the place. And then Jimmy Butler comes to Miami. And you know what? Maybe it was Jimmy Butler. And maybe, right. the, maybe the situation in Miami is just that much better. But God, he has done such a 180 for me. Because he would have, like when he was in, particularly in Minnesota and Philly, he would have said shit like what he said to Rachel Nichols before the game. And I would have been like, God, I hate this dude. He is so right. delusional. Right. But now he says it with the heat and you're like, fuck yeah. With, with yeah. a much, much less like worse roster with a much oh like, less star talent. And you believe him 10 times more. It's, it's it, crazy. So like you said though, like that might be the part too, that also maybe he was being an asshole in the other two places. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to change in Miami. Or, and or they, in Miami, they, they can just take it. Right. Like the in because I, I also hate Joel Embiid, and I know that Cat and Wiggins are soft. So you know, it, maybe it's just sort of the and you know, like these guys here, like Bam to me, Bam and Hero to me are stars. Like they're going to be stars in this league, but right. they're not stars yet. Correct. Uh, in the other places Jimmy went, those guys were already considered you know stars in their own right, even though they haven't accomplished anything. So. Right. He goes into those situations and they're like, who the fuck is this guy who's never won anything? Right? Right. He comes to Miami and until they got Iguodala, nobody in Miami on this roster had won anything. So, and you you go to, and it's a franchise that's won a lot. 
and a coach and a and a president who have won a lot. So right. that gave him the reins. So you know he's probably been the same person everywhere where he's went. He's just now in a situation where they can handle it. Exactly. It's it's exactly. but it's just so absurd. Like the way he was bouncing around pregame and basically said like I like what I see. What are you talking about, dude? You're down 2-0 without Bam and Goron. <laughs> I mean, he's just literally off his rocker in the most, the best way possible. All the successful people are all a little bit delusional, and that guy is a lot of bit delusional. And, and like I said, the best way possible. Yeah. I'm not to him. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. I, so looking ahead, it looks like, I mean, I got to think, we still, because Bam. So after game two, uh, Chris Haynes reported that Bam told him he was going to play in game three. Um, and Bam was in, was pretty insistent that he was going to play in game three. Mm-hmm. And then the team held him out. So you got to think now going ahead to game four, they're probably going to get Bam back. Right. Um, man. I feel pretty good about Miami right now. In a weird way, I feel pretty good about Miami. Because, again, they're still not shooting the ball well. They figured out how they're going to play defense. And then you bring Bam back and just put a better defender in this situation. They believe. Yeah. And you even now you're in a point where Kelly Olynyk's playing so well for you offensively where you can have lineups with Kelly Olynyk and Bam. And Bam can guard AD. I keep calling for a Kendrick Nunn night, like 12 or 15 off the bench for me or something. It just it hasn't developed yet. I'm going to well, keep he, calling for it. You know, game one and game game one and two, he played pretty well. Let, tonight, uh, he, tonight he was, uh, or in game three, he was, I was pretty awful. He looks pretty lost out there. I'm just waiting for this spark plug where he comes in and just. But I think know, this I, is what you, you're, this is what you're going to get with a guy like Kendrick Nunn, right? Like you're going to have a game here and there where he goes for 18 and 17 minutes and then. A game where, like, game three where he has five fouls. And, right. But that being said, I did write, like, I wrote in my notes, like, while I was watching the game, like, his confidence is just unwavering because he still did hit a couple pretty big shots right? in, in, in the game, even though he got in foul trouble and he just looked overmatched. A couple of those pull-up jumpers where you're just like, you need that from him without Goran Dragic. You need it. You need it when you take when you get your shot. You got to knock it down for us, but like, you got to give us something. If you, I, I was wondering this, the way the Heat are playing offensively right now. Um, obviously, Bam coming back is huge. And look, uh, and this is not to say like, go, would you bring Goron back? But how healthy, you know, knowing what that injury is, you know the, the, um, the plantar fascia tear. Like, at that position, I mean, yeah. Like, what percentage does he have to be? The way they're the way they're playing offense offensively right now, other than the fact that just having another would help. What percentage do you think you would need him to be to confidently say, "All right, let's bring him back and give him minutes"? I wouldn't even know a number to, to put at it. I think it's one of those things where you have to be in contact with him. You know, obviously, there's the team doctors and all that stuff. That yeah, are but you know, he, if he even if he feels like. 70 percent he's gonna say he feels 90 percent he wants to say play. he feels 90 but i mean you're gonna be able to tell i think with that injury on your you know at that position point guard like you're gonna be able to tell with him pretty early on like is he gonna be able to is he gonna be able to give us what we need right. out of him or is he really just a liability out there and i think you gotta be you gotta be ready just to pivot from it quick if you throw him out there and it's a two blow of eyes or you know what i mean he's he's 
dragging that foot or whatever. Yeah, I because, think you got to have, you got to be ready just to punt and go right back to what, what you were doing. Because he really, I mean, if he if they can get him back the way they're the 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 way they're playing the 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 offense they're running now, he'd be great in those situations. Serious. Um, and then you know with he'd be able to get into the paint the way Jimmy's scoring the ball. God. <laughs> I don't want to over. I don't want to overreact too much to one game, right? But you know, it's because it's you just you just feel like Miami's going to adjust when they want. They're coming off a win, an upset, you know, a proverbial upset win, and they're still going to have to adjust just right. because they're getting the stars back. So it's just an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and and just like the, the the Lakers' offense has never been great this year. It's just really never been great, and. You need they need LeBron and AD to be LeBron and AD every night, usually to win. Right. Uh, and if the Heat really now, this could be an anomaly, and AD could come back out next game and have forty, and he's going to try. But if the Heat have figured out how to limit him, even a little bit, or either of them, because look, you 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 held him to nine shots, you had LeBron to sixteen shots, eight turnovers. If you're able to, even keep it in that range. Like even if they both, even if they both were to get 25, I don't think that's enough for the Lakers because you're not going to get 19 from Kuzma every night. No, you know? So, and and I don't think they, they're not, they're not built like the heat where you have these guys who can just randomly go off. I don't think they are. I mean, like Rondo has been doing it, but that's what I was just going to get at was Rondo tonight. I mean, 28 minutes, four points, eight rebounds, five assists, but you don't have him chucking up, two or three or four three-pointer. You know what I mean? I know. Ridiculous from three, and you, you'd had that the whole series. And tonight, you don't get those points from him. Yeah. Morris oh, shot it well, but, I mean, Caruso played 26 minutes. He gives you eight points. I know there's more to it than scoring. Dwight Howard, Danny Green, 30 minutes combined for six points. Like I tell you, the other unsung hero is Myers Leonard. He plays all the minutes when Dwight's in there, and Dwight, since game one, has done nothing. Right. He's done nothing. Right. I now, thought they set the tone, the uh, the tip play. They got the lob to him early. And I go, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the, that's the I, tone set for the game. I was like, ah, oh, here we go. Nope. And every time that happened, too, because there was probably three or four times in the game where it was either Dwight or AD because of the way the Heat were fronting them, where they would get that lob over the top. And I was just like, ah, oh, that's the momentum play that's going to be the killer. And it just – Spo, again, to his credit, what, what was it? They were up – I think the Lakers took the lead 91-89 in the fourth. And Spo calls a timeout. He come out and score six straight and go back up 95-91. It's just, just a, like a master stroke of a coaching job. They had every answer, but like every time you just felt the, the run was coming, the Lakers are going to flip that switch, and yeah, they answered it. Unbelievable. Um, all right, well, wow. I texted you when we were texting at half. I was like, God, I just, I hope that he can pull this out. So we at least have a series. Right. So I'm just pumped because I, I like, I, I would have hate to have a, at any point to have to do a podcast about the NBA finals with a sweep. It's just not fun. Right. Like I, I, I like right. LeBron. I like LeBron and I like seeing history, but I didn't want, I, no matter what happens, I don't want to see a sweep. I want to see more basketball at the end of the day. You know, we've, we've had a rough year. You're deprived of it there for a couple months. Like, let's just, 
I know. We went from yeah, having keep it going. four games a day, starting from noon to eight, to now it's every other day. It feels like it's yeah. And it's now, now the yeah now the way adam or uh now the way adam silver is talking about next season it's like when are we gonna have basketball again because he seemed pretty adamant that it'll never be in the bubble again because they need fans because they're losing money so right so i'm be tuning into the atb and real madrid (laughs) basketball a couple months Uh, yeah well i'm pumped so we got now there's a longer break i think now between Game three and four. Let me double check. That's big for the injury. I didn't realize that. Well, it's either three and four or four and five. So either way, there's going to be a point. It was like last series. They had a longer break. Um, but while I'm checking that. They, go, they, they play Tuesday, 9 p.m. Okay, so then maybe it's a longer break after game. Yep. Tuesday, Friday. Yeah. All right. Well, if the Heat, well, then if the heat can pull off game four. Now you're like, I'm ready for it. Yeah, that's huge. Um, before we go, there's something. So there's been a few um, NBA. There's a there's one NBA story that keeps popping up that I wanted to hit you with. So Ben, yeah, I, I didn't really say it off the top, but Ben was with the Pacers for how many years? Four years. Four years. Uh, the four seasons. Not this one just passed, but the four before that. Yeah. So you were the, with there the whole time that that Vic was that Vic's been there, other than this year. Yeah, other than this year. Yeah. So the the rumor came out, I guess last week sometime that he wanted to be out of Indy this off season, which would mean they'd have to trade him. Now, I right. guess yesterday it came out that he said that that's false, which I even said on this podcast, like who knows if that's true. It's probably not true. What do you, what do you make of this? Like, do you think, do you think, do you knowing what you know of the organization and Vic, you think he wants out of there? Or do you think he's sick of what he's seeing? Cause I thought, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure. I wasn't there this year where he was, you know, coming back off injury. I was there for the all-star year. So right. it was a, uh, it was like a match made in heaven. You know, he's, Indiana guy played at IU and I mean you just gotta look at though like what uh, like Kevin Pritchard and those guys have been in this situation before with Paul George and I mean look what they 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 flip Paul George into Domas Sabonis and Victor Oladipo mm-hmm. so I mean if there's anybody that I think can handle a situation like that I think it's Kevin Pritchard but um I mean it's gonna be interesting to see because yeah. I think uh, I think he legitimately wants to to make a run at a title and it's just you know how hard it is in those small markets to, to compete and to build a, you see it with, you know, the bucks and all that, how hard it really is. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you know, spend, you have to spend money. You know what I mean? You have to spend money to keep him happy personally and to put a team around him. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that guy's an Indiana guy. And if he does say he wants to leave, you know, I, I think, I think the Pacers organization can, can turn it into a, a, a net positive for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think the fascinating thing about when that rumor came out was like, they were never a hundred percent healthy this year. They especially weren't healthy in the playoffs. They didn't have Sabonis. Um, and he didn't look healthy in the playoffs. And you don't even know who your coach is going right. to be if you're Vic. Like, to me... I think that's... Um, like, if, if you... Like, I would wait. Because if, 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 if they land Mike D'Antoni, what better situation to be in if you're a player, period? Like, I mean, regardless of... You know, obviously he's had his issues in the playoffs. But, like, the Heat are really good. The the Celtics are really good. 
the Bucks are going to be really good next year. But a fully healthy indie team with Mike D'Antoni as the coach, I think has just as much of a shot as anybody to compete if they're healthy. Like everyone on that team is going to get better if Mike's the coach. No question. But it, same comes down to the small markets. Can they, can they afford a Mike D'Antoni? You know what I mean? Can they, will they want to pay him? And like, I think, I think if you are, are them, you have to include Oladipo in this conversation and you know, who would you like, who would you like to be your coach? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, obviously had McMillan there. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to any of those guys, really. I'm not sure what went, went wrong there towards the end. Obviously just the lack of playoff success stands out, but you got to think that, that they're in constant communication with Victor and, trying to get somebody, a staff in there that he, he, he likes and is comfortable building around. Yeah, I mean, you worked for Nate, and I don't know Nate. I just, I mean, I know him as a coach, just seeing what he's done. And, like, to me, it seems like if they don't get somebody like Mike, um, I don't understand moving on from Nate. I, he, he was, like, in coach of the year, just, like, conversations at certain points in the year. And, like, right. I understand the, the playoff success thing, but, again – Never fully healthy once this whole year. Vic is not 100%. They lose DeMontis Sabonis. Jeremy Lamb's not, you know, he goes out. It's just like coaches still getting blamed for stuff that's totally not under their control. And yet, I get it. They got swept by a team that has a chance, as we just talked about, to legitimately, like you fired Nate McMillan after getting swept by a team that might win the NBA championship. Right. Right. But it's, it's just crazy to think you see about, you know, all these other coaches that just got let go and are getting another chance. You, you don't really see his name. I don't know if he's put out there. He doesn't want to continue coaching or. Yeah, that's true. You, you don't see his name coming up for, you know, okay. You know, any of these other jo job openings, like, you know, Doc had a new job in, you know, 48 hours or whatever. I want to talk about lack of, I mean, I get it. He, I know he won a title. We've talked a lot on this, on this show about his lack of playoff success. I mean, correct. And he still gets, yeah, maybe Nate didn't put out that. I mean, maybe he wants to, I, he, maybe he's doing what I thought Doc was going to do, which would take some time, you know, take right. a year off and evaluate things because. I mean, you don't even know where we're going to be playing or when we're going to be playing or. I know, I know. Well, I mean, maybe Nate sort of just took stock of the league and was like, all right, was realistic. He's been, maybe he's being realistic. He's like, all right, I am not getting one of these open jobs because right. I mean, you know, he's not getting New Orleans because they're going to – it seems as though they're going to get somebody, either Ty Lue or a younger coach to, to, to build that team. He probably right. knew he wasn't getting Philly. And then what else is there now? I mean, he wasn't getting Brooklyn. Right. Um, right. You think. He's not getting Clippers, obviously. Right. So, so – Oh, yeah, OKC's open, right? Yeah. He really wouldn't be a bad coach for OKC, although they are going to be completely re rebuilding soon. But it's like one of those situations where it's like, do you want to get a new young guy in there and focus on development? Or, it's just or just go and do what we know is one of the easiest jobs on the planet. No offense to any assistant coaches in the NBA, but it's like, you know, go be an assistant coach, man. No, you, coach, you, you, you get, you get pitching machine. Yeah, exactly. You, you do your scouting report, you rebound, you work some guys out. But n none of the pressure, none of it, <laughs> none of the stress, none of the pressure in and out and yeah, do your things. And Nate's probably like, yeah, I've not done this head coaching thing enough. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't think when I, he was, I was there obviously with uh, Frank Vogel. Yeah. Uh, Nate was the associate head. And I mean, Nate, he's even said it. He had no aspirations of 
head coach in the game, they just kind of approached him about it. So that he's wow. that kind of guy, he's that kind of guy that can 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 be a really great supporting, you know, strong supporting supporting associate head coach for a young young coach to bring in as a program builder. So hmm. I don't know if it's something he'd want to do, but I've seen I've seen him in that role and he, he does it really well. You know, as a former player, that he has the respect of the players and. Wow, maybe he's yeah. so maybe he's waiting to see who ends up where and maybe he'll go like like he'd be a great assistant for Ty Lue if Ty Lue exactly. wherever Ty Lue ends up because now like if Ty Lue gets the Clippers gig there's still an opening on that staff and they lose Doc who's like their veteran former point guard coach so maybe he goes to the Clippers or you know he'd be a good assistant for him down in New Orleans so yeah Craig I could see him doing some if he was interested he'd be great in that role but who knows, man? He's had a hell of a go at it. So yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, dude, you said this was your first show, but it didn't seem like it. This is all right. Just make sure I give you something that you could use. Hell man. yeah, no, usable. I have a feeling people are gonna be calling for Ben to be back. So appreciate you jumping on. Uh, or, yeah, man. Uh, so game two, Tuesday night. So we will. Uh, we'll. Pre- or excuse me, game four Tuesday night. We'll preview it tomorrow and uh, talk to you guys tomorrow morning. Later.